0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. We are so blessed that you're here, and I will share uh, my affection of that to uh, Ben Kelly, one of our elders here, uh, that we are blessed to have you as a part of our service today and what God is doing at Woodside Troy. My name is EJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Chris is uh, probably right now over the Eastern seaboard as he's uh, traveling back from uh, Africa with a few other of our pastoral team and a number of other dads. Who who uh, had the opportunity and privilege to serve in South Africa. We also, uh, this week, are certainly celebrating all that God did at Hope Week. Over 300 teenagers uh, and leaders from our campus alone. Thursday night, I got to witness uh, well over a dozen baptisms, powerful testimonies about what God is uh, doing and did through them uh, this past week. And church family, uh, if you need or you desire to be excited about the next generation of believers, uh, I can tell you that this church has them. And for you young people, if you are in the room this morning, I want to commend you for the wonderful work of the gospel uh, that you uh, did this last week. Can we um, just thank them and say, way to go. Amen. Well, you know, over these uh, last few weeks, we've been in a a mini-series called Habits, and we've been talking about ancient practices uh, for uh, modern-day living. And as we do, today I want to uh, spend some time speaking about a topic that is near and dear uh, to my heart, and that is evangelism. And as a church family, um, we uh, have been so gifted by Pastor Chris, Pastor Steve, uh, last week, Dr. Jelenic uh, sharing with us. And uh, as we do, each of us have different teaching styles. I love to use uh, the TV. And uh, as I I do, I hope it's it's an aid for each of you as we uh, spend time together in our Bibles. And as we do, um, I want to uh, start off uh, right off the bat and say uh, that this morning, I hope that we see through the text, uh, that God transforms our small acts of obedience into big opportunities for the kingdom. That God um, transforms our small acts of obedience into big opportunities for the kingdom. And over the years, I have learned this, that your obedience to God determines what you'll be for God tomorrow. That's your obedience today, what you and I as followers of Christ are on our journey towards Christ that it will impact today based on what we do. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to take them and open them up to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, uh, I want to set the foreground for you of this passage and the pericope that we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, The writer of these uh, passages is firmly to be be John. The disciple who is often thought of uh, in the other gospels as uh, that Jesus would call him the disciple whom he loved. And uh, the book of John, in my opinion, is vital to us as believers, as we look at what evangelism and as believers, what evangelists look like. Leon Morris, an Australian New Testament scholar, uh, wrote uh, that the book of John is like a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. It is both simple and profound. And in the years of my study through the Gospels, I can tell you this, that I have found this to not only be true, but to be super relevant. John's purpose for unbelievers was that they would obtain eternal life. And as um, these unbelievers, excuse me, uh, sought through the Gospels, I believe John is telling them, this is for you, this is for you. It's very different uh, in composure than the other Gospels. 93% of the Gospel of John is different uh, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And for us believers, uh, my hope, and I believe John's was as well, that we may, through the book of John, experience uh, an abundant eternal life, as he talks about in John 10.10. Though uh, most uh, scholarly students of uh, this gospel have concluded that John's purpose in writing the book of John was primarily evangelistic, there is so much for us as believers that we can learn from. See, the book of John often, uh, to me, uh, seems like a beautiful story. Instead of reading the book of John like a set of newspaper articles, you and I can read it as though John is telling us and every believer that this is what Jesus meant. It's plain Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, was a part of our teaching team uh, a few months ago. And he said, my goal as a pastor is to take those things which are on the top shelf and bring them down to the bottom shelf. And I can tell you that in the presence of uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor John, uh, I may not be the most top shelf uh, theologian pastor But my hope this morning is to take us down to the bottom shelf and as we do, be able to walk out of here invigorated and be able to share the hope of Jesus boldly as believers. When we um, enter into John chapter 1, John the Apostle uh, introduces us to John the Baptist. And because John the Baptist bore witness to the light, namely Jesus, we start off this passage learning about who the Word is, that the Word became flesh. John the Baptist was both a model evangelist as well as one who pointed to the light in the darkness. And I think we can all agree this morning that there are moments where we see the light. But there are also plenty of moments that the world around us seems very dark. John the Baptist introduced the light to the dark world. He inaugurated Jesus' ministry and therefore mention of him um, was appropriate for the Apostle John because he led the way to Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist continued to witness to those around him. And right in the beginning of the text, within the first 40 uh, verses, we see John the Baptist and the Apostle John pave this way for Jesus' public ministry where we start to see miracles performed, where we see the wedding feast, where we see Jesus meet the woman at the well. And this passage today is um, quite often skipped over because the beginning of uh, these verses seem to uh, just fly by. It's something that we read, and often for me in the first couple of uh, chapters of a book, I fly through them. But I can tell you this, this morning... As we spend this time together, I'm going to have to challenge us. As one of your pastors this morning, um, I have to talk about obedience to the scriptures. I think because of our relationship that that should hopefully be um, easy and formidable, but obedience is sometimes very hard. I get that. I am not far from you in those moments, nor do I feel like I can get up here and preach that without first saying to each and every one of us that it is not simple. But obedience in the form of evangelism is vital to our faith, vital to the church, and vital to the cause of Christ. But I want to make it very simple for us. So simple that um, I think we can do it with uh, just three words. And, and three words can change absolutely everything. I can tell you that in the context of the relationship of me and my sweet wife, um, it sure, certainly did. It started off by me saying to my sweet Abby, uh, let's have dinner. Then I said to her, I like you. Then I said, I love you. Probably a little bit too quick for you young guys, but um, it, it happened. It happened. Um, Then I said, let's get married And she was in I needed to take a few extra words for this one But I went to her father and I said, can I marry your daughter? That was um, a big one Then we pronounced them. we're getting married We're moving away Lake Ann Camp, Woodside Bible Church Preach the gospel, let's have kids And then a biggie EJ, we're pregnant Deep breath. Is this real? It's a boy. It's a girl. You're a jerk. (laughs) You are too. But I love you. I'm so sorry. You're my girl. I love you. Three words can change a life. And this morning, as we look into John chapter 1, we're going to see how Jesus calls uh, Philip and Nathanael. In uh, John chapter uh, 1, verse 43 and onward, it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Then uh, Jesus uh, saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? or your scriptures may say, amen, amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Just three words changed everything. Philip's small, simple act of obedience resulted in a simple invitation. Come and see. There are a whole lot of things for me, as a pastor that take deep, deep study. And I'm sure as believers, the same is true for you. The simplicity of these three words continues to rattle me that within it, Philip's belief turned into action. Philip is called and invited by a disciple of Jesus in John 1.43. 24 hours, Peter uh, earlier, Peter and Andrew, who were most likely friends and colleagues, Received the same calling and invitation. That invitation continued to echo throughout Jesus' ministry over and over and over, all the way actually until the book of Revelation in the sixth chapter, where John, as he writes, continues to see this pattern of come and see. I don't know if you noticed, but as Jesus invited these men initially, he only needed two words follow me. It's great that as believers, we can add an extra word in. But, but I love how um, Philip went. He went looking for his friend, Nathaniel. And as he did, Nathaniel is probably one of his uh, closest, uh, maybe very close, best friend. The pair were listed together in all four of uh, the gospel accounts of the disciple. And Philip had finally found the one that he was looking for. For ages in history, they had been promised a Messiah. Someone to come. Someone that was going to share with them this true meaning of life. And life everlasting. And in this moment, everything changed. I hope for you that as I'm walking through the text this morning, um, that you're starting um, to think about your passion for Christ. See, because a passion for um, Jesus soon becomes a passion for telling others about Jesus. And this is what we saw happen, here is a man that finally encounters the Messiah that he has been looking for, that he has been longing for, and when he finally meets him, when he finally chooses to follow Jesus with everything, he becomes passionate about other people. Church, the same is true for us. You know, as I was looking at this text um, Philip didn't have to go, but he did. He was so overwhelmed by his discovery that Philip goes looking, uh, again, most likely for his best friend to share this good news. When he finds him, he is overjoyed. I can only imagine his excitement running around. And Philip says this, he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's response is brutal. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Ouch! I think of all the times that I've um, attempted to prepare dinner for uh, my family. Uh, Very few times my wife would uh, share testimony too. But as I did, I get all excited. I prepare um, all the things, typically mac and cheese. I get the the milk out. I get the uh, butter out. I get the little cheese packet, the noodles. I boil the water. I always forget to put the lid on so it boils over. I don't do the spoon trick. And I am excited to share my world's famous Annie's mac and cheese with my family. But I usually ruin it. I can only imagine Philip in this moment, setting the table, preparing the meal, being so ready to share with his best friend. I found him, the Messiah, Jesus, he's here. And his friend responds by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? In any case, when Nathaniel hears about Jesus as a man who fulfills this messianic prediction of uh, Moses. His response is, um, again, not what we're hoping for. Nathaniel was from Cana, another village north of uh, Nazareth, and it's likely that his comment tells us something about the rivalry of the region between the the Galileans and those who lived um, in the Nazarene villages. Nazareth did not have a, um, a bad reputation in Jesus' day, but neither did it have a famous one. Nathanael is expressing this cynicism, this skepticism that he has about who this Messiah is, likely because there had been people from Nazareth in the past that have come out of the woodwork and said, I, I am him, I am the Messiah. These false teachers who attempted to bear witness just like John the Baptist did. But we're doing it about the wrong person. And Nathaniel would have none of it. As Nathaniel had none of it, Philip's challenge is appropriate to him. And as I was reading through a commentator, he said this, evidence becomes convincing when it is appropriated personally. For many of us as we go and we share the gospel, the good news, we invite somebody with a simple invitation like, come and see Sometimes, and at least in my history, oftentimes, it hasn't been a gourmet meal. It has crumbled right before me. You would think after eight years of Bible college and seminary working in a church for 15 plus years that I would have it down, that everyone's response would be, that's him, there he is. But it's not. But the truth of the matter, is that Nathaniel in this moment revealed something very specific that is true for us today. And it's this, that he was a skeptic. And skeptics are all around us. Actually skeptics right now seem more prevalent than us as believers. Nazareth, how could the Messiah come from Nazareth? The anointed one? No way. I thought the Lord's anointed one was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, in this moment, I can only imagine what was pondering in his head. Do you know someone who's a skeptic of Jesus? I have some of my very best friends, my family members, who would find themselves in that category. Actually, many of us have heard of the term uh, religious nuns. Not like Catholic nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Those are the people who belong to a group or a holding to nothing in particular. And six in ten Americans, when they're filling out studies, would say that they have no religious affiliation. Now I will say this, as research um, is done and questions are asked, even in my own life, the number one reason given why this response is true to them is they have questions about our religious teachings. Especially within us as evangelicals, how we walk through our days, our weeks, our months, our families, our businesses. It does not compute. Often it causes other folks to distance themselves from the church. And here's the thing, they don't know why we have arrived where we have. They don't understand it. And for most of us, they don't understand why we worship the way we do. They they don't understand this devoutness that we have in our lives to Jesus and following him with everything. And because of it, their desire, instead of to affiliate with one who we believe is the Messiah, they pull back. The second most common reason to this opposition is the positions that we've taken on social and political issues. Here's what I believe, that many people are aware of who Jesus is. Many people are aware of the work of the church, yet they remain skeptics. And because of these things, when we are sharing our faith, many will have the same response as Nathaniel, Jesus, I would never. Church? Isn't that like, like Nazareth? I would never. Now, now, this is my conclusion. That you and I will throughout the remainder of our days meet skeptics of Jesus. I will also encourage you today, church family, if you are not meeting folks who are skeptics, it is time to change our circle. When we encounter these um, skeptics, the simple response that we can have is three words. Come and see. And I want to remind you this morning that um, we're going to see that God turns one small act of obedience into a big opportunity for the kingdom. That is all he does. Philip's response to Nathaniel is very important. He simply says, come and see. There is no arm breaking, no persuasive discussion, no shouting, no social media shaming. There is a simple invite Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see for yourself. EJ, that seems like a little light. It is. But I can tell you this, that if a skeptic is in our midst, if someone is seeking Jesus and we are witnessing to them, the best thing we can do is have them come and experience the living God as we have. Amen? We can do better than that. Amen? Philip yeah. says to him, come and see for yourself. Just, just come check it out. Don't take my word for it. Just come and see just come and see for yourself. Make up your own mind. And I love this because it echoes the same words that Jesus had. Just some 10 verses shorter, Jesus shares with some of John the Baptist's uh, disciples, come and you will see. I can tell you this, that in my faith, I have been a convert. I came to know who Jesus was because of someone's obedience. Did you? Someone said to me, often she attends this very church, her name is Heather. She said, EJ, come and see, come and see who Jesus is. And I did. And I could tell hundreds of stories of such. But God uses Philip's obedience to him, even in the early days of following after Christ. And I can tell you this. I have also been in the position... Or I could have said something wonderful, and I didn't say a single thing. Philip's small act of obedience transformed into a big opportunity for the kingdom. But what I love about this story is that once Philip invites Nathanael to come and see Jesus, Philip disappears from the story. Philip simply invites others to come and see, to see and experience for themselves what he has been seeing, what his life has changed by, and that is Jesus. I love that John shows the cadence over and over and over. Come and see and disciples being made. Invitation and conversion. Hope and hope everlasting. It keeps happening over and over throughout the gospel of John. And Philip's example is such a good one. But look what happens. He completes the task. And then the text goes on to tell us just how quickly he gets up. But doesn't skip right to Nathanael coming towards Jesus. When Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him, he says this. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This behold word here means that they see him coming, but Jesus enters in. Jesus says to him, Come and see who I really am. Jesus describes Nathanael as a true man, one who is without anything false. And this word that occurs almost 11, uh, 12 times in the New Testament conveys this meaning of trickery, that there is no trickery, that he is an honest man seeking. And Jesus says, I saw you. I saw you under a fig tree. And in that moment, as Jesus was seeking after this man, just as he did many of us in this room, everything changes. EJ, you said you were going to put it on the bottom shelf. It seems like it's too low on the shelf. Let me remind you this, that Jesus, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, he knew and he does know what each of us need. He knew Nathaniel before Nathaniel knew Jesus. Nathaniel had witnessed this miracle. And decides to take a remarkable step of faith. At once, Nathaniel now experiences Jesus for himself. And he addresses him with a litany of titles. Let's make sure together we're not missing it. He says this, Rabbi, teacher, one who I am now going to follow, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the king of Israel. And because of his direct encounter with Jesus, Nathanael moves from skepticism and doubt to an affirmation in a relationship with Christ. Pastor EJ, can it be that easy? I think it can be. Because of who Jesus is. What changes Nathanael's life isn't Philip's persuasiveness, but Nathanael's own encounter with Jesus Nathaniel had his own decision to make and it leads him to declare, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the one true king of Israel. He encounters the real and living God and as he does, he sees who Jesus truly is. See, our role is to take others, to grab them by the hand, and invite them with very simple words. Come and see who Jesus is. In John 1.5 at the beginning of the chapter it says this. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. EJ are you um, just hoping to boost church attendance by uh, saying that all of us can be obedient by inviting someone to church? No. That would be shallow. My hope is that people's lives are changed by Christ. Nathaniel's own encounter with Jesus leads him to declare who he really is. One commentator um, that I've been studying over the years says this of this passage, The culture around us is often indifferent and skeptical, if not hostile, to the church and to talk about faith in our secular, post-Christian, pluralistic world. All truth is often seen as a relative matter of one or one's opinion. But a personal encounter with Jesus can change everything. As people of God, we are called to bear witness to the gospel, to say to people, come and see. Come and see, simple, open, inviting words. The church, you and I, must go into the world because the world won't often come into the church. It is not an easy place to just show up, especially in the times that we live. And we know that. We know at times how hard it is to invite people into this place. But come and see our words that anyone can learn. That anyone can share. So please allow me um, to propose to a question or two to you. The first one being this. Are you living out the gospel in such a way that as you offer this invite of come and see that your life is living up to their response? Because if you are, there is no wrong person to share such an invitation with. I, um, I debated for a long time whether or not I should be the one sharing the gospel. Whether it be in the pulpit or to my friends. My job is not to have people be converted to a follower of Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, our lives should resemble that work day in and day out. I I will say that um, when you as a um, Christian actually live out these three words, when you as a Christian live the gospels, sinners will respond to the gospel. And it is um, my duty as one of your pastors this morning to convey with as much emphasis and as much strength as this church and our body of believers will allow me to say this, that it is vital as believers that you and I walk humbly before the Lord and share the good news of Jesus. But we can't just show it. I have a little guy, um, his name is uh, Gideon. And Gideon is... Um, you know, the apple of my eye, along with uh, my sweet Ruth. And uh, Gideon attended our preschool here at Woodside. It was such a wonderful program. One day he uh, came to, uh, up to me and he said, "Daddy, I'm the star of the week." And I said, "Giddy, what what does that mean?" And he said, "Well, Daddy, I get to go in the front of the line, and I, I get to choose different activities, and I, I get to be a part of show and tell." And I said, "Great, what are you going to bring, man?" And he ran upstairs into his bedroom and he was scrambling around and looking. And then he ran down in the basement and out of one of the wonderfully organized bins. I love you, sweetheart. um, He found a matchbox car. And he came upstairs and he had it in his hand. And I said, okay, Giddy, tell me what you're going to do. Show me, show me. He straightened his shirt up and at the end of our counter, he put the car in his hand and he went like this. I said, dude, that's awesome. I said, um, Gideon, you showed it so well, but it's called show and tell, so, so go ahead and tell me what you're going to say. I said, Gideon, you, you can show me all you want, buddy, but, but you have to say it. And he looked at me and he said, daddy, I don't want to say anything. (laughs) I was thinking of this passage and I told him, I said, Gideon, when you put your hand out like this, you open the hood of that car. And as you do, you invite every one of those boys and girls to come up to you and say to them, come and see, just look. Friends, friends, the greatest opportunity that we have as believers is to invite others into a life-changing relationship with Christ. And when we do, our hope, our goal, is to, as people, preach the gospel to every creature. And it's as simple as saying to them, come and see. Jesus um, certainly came to save the lost, He came to save um, the last and the least. His work is done. But ours, as a church, is just beginning. This morning, um, I want to end simply by uh, sharing two things. The first one being this. That if you today call yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, three simple words, come and see. Can change another's life. As you do, know that every Christian um, carries a key that can open the door of salvation to others. And our responsibility is to not just take it out and show it. It's to tell it. It's to our friends, our families, our co workers, those whom we love and those who we don't even know, to sit before them and say, Come and see. Go and tell. Each of them, who you know, who you will encounter, who Jesus is to come and see. And then, let them allow, give them the window to see your life. And as they see it, my prayer is that they too will see Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.